I'm Corrine. And I'm Cameron. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to A Conversation, Conversation Between Women. All right, welcome back to another episode of Conversations Between Women. And I'm really excited to see you. <laughs> and this, I feel like it's been like three months since we did our last uh, recording. And I yeah. feel like there's so many things. I was thinking about what we were going to talk about. And I don't even know because there's so many things that are different from the last month that we recorded. So I don't know how things are for you. What's going on with you? Yeah, and no, I definitely feel that too. It feels like it's been ages. Um, and I haven't even... I think like in between the last couple of recordings, like I took two different trips, but I didn't even go anywhere this time. I just have like gone so many places in my mind and my life. And like, I've, I think I've shed a lot of lifetimes on the last month. So, um, I was talking to my old, my former mentor, my spiritual teacher, and she, I was just we were sort of just reconnecting and I was telling her about some of the changes I made and she was reflecting how like, the work that we did together and, and what I'm doing is like that I've shed so many lifetimes that I'm not going to have to live now. Um, and, and that's, I guess I, that's something that I have, um, thought about, but I, I don't think I'd really like maybe internalized it until she said that, um, what that actually means, because in this whole growth and healing process that I've been in for all these years, there's always been something in the back of my mind about like, I want to do it in this life. I want to do it now. I don't want to miss out on the opportunities of this life. And the, the feeling that like, if I don't get this right, or if I don't get this taken care of now, like I'm going to spend my entire life feeling like this. And then I'll get to the end of this life and be like, damn it. I didn't, I didn't do it. I didn't, you know, I didn't get to live fully in this life. And, and what I've realized is that, um, I'm, uh, I guess I hadn't equated necessarily the lifetimes that I wouldn't have to then live with the arrival in this life of like fully lived life. Um, but I guess that's kind of what it is. Like, you know, people will say, like if we were, if we had all the answers, if we'd figured everything out, if we were fully enlightened, we wouldn't be here because the whole point of this experience is to evolve and grow. And if like, if you've hit the peak of that experience, then, you know, you don't have to keep doing it. You're not going to keep doing it unless you come back as like a Bodhisattva or something, um, or you're just here to like support other people in their growth. But, um, yeah, so it's, it, I guess it's, it's interesting because I have, really been so dedicated to like, I want to live this life. I want to enjoy this life and be fully like fully alive for this life. But the very act of getting to that point and then living life from that place, I guess really means that I have cleared out an abundance of trauma and ancient wounds and whatever, like all the things that stood in between me and being able to be fully present and engaged in this life. Um, and so then going forward, you know, who knows like what the process is after this life. But, um, it was, it was just kind of a, an interesting, uh, realization to have and piggybacking on that. Um, one of the things that really has plagued me for 
at least the last two decades, if not, I mean, I feel like I, I always, as a child carried some version of this, but I remember distinctly at 14 being like no longer believing in God and, and then like going through this whole like um, crisis, I guess, and transcendental crisis or what is that? What it, what's it called? <laughs> I think existential crisis. Existential crisis. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I have those every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I had like a major one at 14 and, um, and so it's been, it's sort of taken the form of like depression about life. And it was like, there was no version of this reality that I could actually accept and be okay mm -hmm. with. Um, and this real fear, like there was no way I've worked it from so many angles for so many years. And there was, there were moments where I could like reconcile my, myself to like the fact that we live and die, but like the fact that I was going to die just haunted me, has haunted me forever and ever and ever. And, um, and what I just came to was the awareness, you know, people will say like, you know, if you don't live fully, what is it? I don't know. Something about like not living fully. Um, people are afraid to, to die, but they're really afraid to live. And I sort of got that, um, conceptually, I think, but I had this awareness like really recently this last week that this point of arrival, that's not really a point of arrival, but sort of this jumping, mm -hmm. it feels like a jumping the fence, like going from one reality to a new reality, which of course, when you go back to Joe Dispenza and I had like a big aha, which I can get into around his work. Um, but coming from this place of always cycling through this terror around death, like that there's no reality, like it doesn't matter how loving God is. It doesn't matter what it is after this. The fact that I die was like, like panic inducing. And, and I realized that I, I like tapped in, sorry, I have like all these, I, when I stop talking, I'll turn it off. But I realized like I tapped into this um, aliveness that I hadn't yet been able to reach before. And I was sort of in this, like cycling through this depressive thought loop again around like, there's just no out, there's no way. Like, I can't, I can't deal with this. I can't believe that this is it, that this is the reality that I have to accept. Like, I can't accept this. And then I was able to get myself to the other side of the fence. And from that place of like, who am I lived like this, like the fully alive, fully from love, engaged and like joyous and all this stuff. And that, that feeling completely vanished. And I was like, oh no, I can accept it now. So it was really interesting, like really being internalizing the feeling of that future of me being fully alive and like in love with my life completely washed out, negated, made obsolete this other, like, you know, two decades of plaguing me feeling depressive feeling about the fact that I'm going to die. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting. There's like a million ways I could go in there. Um, the thing that really stands out to me is the, the dying part because uh, as a little, little kid, I'm talking like five to seven years old, starting then I, st I had every night when I would go to bed, I would just cry myself to sleep because I was going to die. 
and not in that moment. Not, I didn't know when I just knew that someday I was going to die and it was really affected me as a kid. And so my whole life I've carried that kind of what, what you're talking about, this like fear of death. I think that everybody does on some sort of level. I don't think people are as conscious of it as you or I are conscious of it. And some people are probably more conscious of it. Um, but for me, it was like, really, I really, as a young, young child really grappled with that, like upfront, like it was, I would just look at it every night and I would just cry myself to sleep because I thought it was the saddest thing that I was going to die. And I didn't even know really what death was at that age. Like I just knew that I wasn't going to be here and I was going to be somewhere else. And people would tell me I was going to go to heaven and all these things, but like, what does that mean? And it's so abstract. And, um, and then as I have grown, I see that, um, I've died a million times to myself in this life. I've, I mean, I, I, I'm not even recognizable to myself, like who I was when I was 15 to now, for example, like I'm not even the same person and yet I am the same person, like my core of my being who I really am. My soul is still the same and, but I'm so different. And then the, whenever I got pregnant this time, with the last baby, um, that was a big thing is just dealing with death, really dealing with death and actually getting into these panicky states thinking I was going to die in that moment, like actually physically die. And um, then having to be reminded, no, this is just another part, another ego death, like you're going to be fine. And so I, it just has, it has shifted and changed throughout my life, how I'm dealing with it, but it's always been there. And I think that the, you know, for, for me and like what you're saying is that we're, we're actually aware of it, conscious of it and are on some level working with it or facing it to the best of our ability at that time. And then I think for a lot of people, they are not aware of it and not conscious of it and not facing it. And so that's what we see a lot in the world that shows up as like fear of the other fear of anything that we think is outside of ourselves, which, you know, is a whole other uh, conversation, but um, just all this fear that I see in people, really what I think it is, is it's a fear of death. And really what that is, is like, they're afraid to die because they're not actually living. And so like, if, if we're living a good life, then when we get to the end, the ideal would be, ah, oh, yeah, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go home. And I've seen this with people who really have been lived a fulfilled life they say i'm ready to go home to my creator i'm ready to go home to god and just feeling really at peace with that and like sam's grandmother she was 97 when she died she died in 2020 was totally independent lived her life traveled was just an amazing woman and in um in 2020 she just got like i don't know she fell or something she, or had, no, she had a stroke that's what it was she had a stroke she'd had one before and then she went to the hospital and was in the hospital and was still alive and kicking. And the doctor was like, you're not going to make it. And she was like, she said, really, I'm going to die. Is that what you're telling me? And he was like, yes, I'm sorry. You're not going to make it, which, you know, it's like, who are you to give someone this? Right. But she was so happy and content in her life that she literally said, okay, and she went to sleep and did not wake up. That's how she died. So like she, in a way, she made a choice. It was based on, you know, some BS, I think, but she made that choice. Like, all right, 
I've lived a good life. And we started looking through her things and started seeing she's been planning for death for like 40 years. So she was writing notes to her kids and grandkids 40 years ago, like that didn't even like her kid, grandkids didn't even exist. She was writing notes about like, I've had a good life. I loved your dad. Like this was my favorite part of my life. I've loved you kids. Like you've been so important to me. And just like, and I'm like, wow, she's been thinking about this for a really long time. And so, yeah, she arrived there and was like, ready to go home. And to me, that's such like a, a beautiful thing. And I really want to be there whenever I get to the, to the end. But um, I feel that a lot of people can't make it to that place because a lot of people aren't actually living a life. And um, I was reminded of this, this last weekend because we had house guests and they were from, they were artists. They lived in the city. One lived in New York, one lived in LA and they came here. They were like, internet friends of Sam's is like this weird thing. They like know each other from Instagram. <laughs> so it's like these people show up in my house, these men and they're like, Oh my gosh. I was like, uh, I don't know if I want you in my house. Cause they were totally thuggish with like gold teeth. And like, I mean, it was, I was just like, who are you? But they actually turned out to be really great. And they were, they tried really hard to be wholesome. Like they wanted to like get drunk, but they waited till the kids went to sleep. You know, like they really tried to be wholesome. And one of them actually, Actually went to Waldorf school. This is kind of a side note, but he went to Waldorf school. And so at, at dinner table, you know, we do like a Waldorf blessing for our meal. And so I start saying it and he starts chiming in and I'm like, wow, this guy's got like, does not look like a Waldorf kid. You know, he's got tattoos all over and like, he's got a gold tooth and like, it's just like this whole funny thing, you know, he looks so inner city and it's not what I think of when I think of Waldorf. But, um, anyway, so the, the, that was a tangent, but, um, when they were there, I felt as soon as they got there, I felt this feeling in my heart. And I was like, well, I don't know. I knew it wasn't my feeling. It was something I was picking up, but I couldn't really discern what it was. So I thought I'm just going to like step back and watch the situation, see if these people are even safe to have in my house around my kids and see how my kids react to them. And so I watched my oldest daughter and she kind of kept her distance at first and was just like staring at them, like, you know, and they were very unusual looking. So that might've been part of the, part of the thing, but um, also they're, you know, they were very, a specific kind of man that she's never been around. And so she, I watched her like navigate that. And then later on that night, I was putting her to bed and she, I play this music for her. It's this whole tones music and it's very peaceful and, you know, brings on good feelings and all this stuff. And she's listening to it. And I tell her, I love her, put her to bed and I hear her crying. And so I go back in there and I, I mean, she's just like, she's very dramatic. She's like, <laughs> like really sobbing. And so I'm like, okay, what's up? So I go in there to talk to her and she was like, I, this music makes me sad. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Like, why does the music make her sad? And so we start going through it and she says, I feel dead mom. And I was like, uh, okay. Alarmed. <laughs> like, what does that even mean? And I'm really concerned right now. So I'm like talking to her and what it comes out is like, she's picking up on these men, right? Like what, that are in my house, she's picking up something. And so I told her, like, I could tell that it wasn't that she had picked up something from that day energetically. And so I told her, you know, I think I picked up something too. I felt something in my heart. Does your heart hurt? Da, da, da. So we have this conversation and I just kind of put her to ease and put her to bed. But after they left, 
a couple of days later, I was talking to my partner about it and I was like, you know, I'm really kind of concerned about this. And he said, well, it's interesting because what those, what those men said when they were here was they were talking a lot about like, um, our lives are really pointless the way that we're living it. Like we don't have a family and your life is so great here, Sam. And like, um, so like basically what he got from them is that they were living this existence that was just like, what are we doing? We're like artists creating art for what reason? We have no family, no partner. We're living in a city and like doing this grind. And like, we know all these famous people and like one of them is dating a really famous musician. And he's like, she's crazy. And she like wants to have kids with me, but I just don't know. It is like this weird thing, like a completely meaningless existence. And that's what they were saying. And so I thought, oh, well, maybe that's what that is that she's picking up on. So for her, it felt like, she was dead. And so I thought it was interesting that that's the feeling that she was feeling. And then I was feeling this like really big sadness in my heart. And then what they were saying was our life is completely, completely meaningless, which is essentially we're not living. And I think that that whole, all of that stuff, like, I think a lot of people are feeling that like, and I, I just so many people that I come across who are living in a different way from how we're living. Um, and I'm not saying that the way that we're living is like the right way. I don't think that at all, but it's the right way for us. But I think that because we're living a meaningful life, other people who are not living a meaningful life see that and they're like, oh, well, I'm not actually living a life that means anything. And it's interesting too, because every time my family separates, like if Sam goes somewhere like on a trip or if I take the kids on a trip or something, we have this like crazy existential crisis for ourselves of like, what are we even doing? And it's like, just back to when I was, before I had a kid, it's like, why am I even alive right now? What is the purpose of all of this? And it's really like, when we're not together, yeah. there's no point, like, what's the point? And, um, it's because so much of our purpose is tied up in our children and this life that we're creating for our children and for ourselves. And, um, but everything we're even creating for ourselves is like a legacy for our children. We're creating a beautiful life. So our children can see somebody creating a beautiful life, you know, um, in, in so many ways. And we were doing that stuff before we had kids, but really, even though we, we had meaningful lives before we had kids, they really looking back were not meaningful. I mean, we were both doing really what we thought was meaningful, important work in the world. You know, I was teaching children, he was building gardens for people and doing all these things that we thought were really beautiful. But then it's like, you have kids and you're like, oh, this is what it's all about. Like more if people have children, then they will see the world in a totally different way. Um, so yeah, I just think that it's really, sad that people that we're we're stuck in like so many people are stuck in that and i've definitely been stuck in that um meaningless life kind of business um and i think that that's that's really the the big fear of death is because people aren't actually living so it's like you're gonna get to the end and be like oh my god there's so many things i didn't do mm -hmm. you know yeah and we're trained that way like people say yeah, you just work really hard when you're young. And then when you're old and broken or whatever, like then you can travel. It's like, no, I never understood that. And my partner never understood that either. Um, and yeah, it doesn't really work out, but so many people subscribe to that. Yeah. Wow. That was so many things to go off of. Um, <laughs> I just, I, when I was pregnant, I remember distinctly, like I had been floundering hardcore and I got pregnant and was like, 
this is the only thing in life worth doing. Like, yeah. oh my God, suddenly like everything makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, oh, wow. Yeah. It really, you know, um, the concept of, you know, seven generations, like doing everything for seven generations out. Um, like I, as a, as a younger person and probably more recently too, I've kind of, I think because I've been on my own for so long, um, the, the, like the daily grind or like the mundanity of like cooking, washing dishes, the, the, like the, the loop, the endless loop of this, of like feeding to live, to eat, to like it just like where like a, a, a um, zero sum game like mm -hmm. where am I going with this <clears throat> um and really kind of struggling with the fact that like trying to make meaning and find meaning around it because it was like you can't get away from this like <laughs> I don't it's kind of I guess it's hard for me to explain but just the fact that like what is the point of anything if the only, if it's like all we're doing is eating to live, like all the work to feed ourselves to live so that we have to keep feeding ourselves to keep living like the whole, so it's really, it's just like that the point of life is life. Like there's no, there is no end point like goal. It's like just the continuous living, which then brings it back to just the present moment and like, being fully alive in this present moment right now. And it's not about what I'm going to achieve. And, and I think it's really interesting because on the one hand, sort of the, um, the efficiency that's been created around the acts of living that like the sustaining aspects of life, you know, like having shelter, having food, having water, like the, the fact that those things, can be like forgotten about in most people's, in a lot, maybe not most people's, but a lot of people's realities um, so that they are then able to channel all of that energy into some other endeavor, which allows for this creation of incredible art or incredible um, productivity, inventions like music, whatever it is, which are all these beautiful aspects of reality that then feed and support us in various ways. But um, that sort of extremism that's allowed for these like incredible productions of things has also facilitated um, so, like the disconnect that so many people experience. And then we go through the cycle of like the back to the land and then people realize like, I got to get my hands in the dirt, got to get back outside, connect back with nature. And um, I guess it's just interesting, like the creation, expansion, contraction, like this constant ebb and flow of that. Um, but like that we can't, we actually can't get away from the fact that there's something about the actual generation of life and the creation of life and the tending to life, like whatever form that is, like not everybody's going to have kids. Some people are really dedicated to their gardens or, you know, some other creation that they're doing. Um, but the creating and the tending is like what it comes back to, you know, like the presence of this moment of that 
act of love towards this moment and what I'm, what I'm doing here. You know, like people talk about like doing dishes as like a sacred experience. It's like, right. Cause every part of this is part of this and you can't extricate one part or like get rid of something. Wow. wow my mind's like blowing up right now. Um, <laughs> you can't get rid of one aspect, which is like the same with ourselves. When we try to cut off this part that I don't like, oh, I don't want to deal with that thing. I'm going to put that over there, put that on the shelf. And it's like, you can't actually ever get away from it. And it's, the acceptance of all of it and being fully present with all of it within and without above. And below. Oh my God. Oh yeah. It's all happening. But it really is because, um, like you taught you, you talked about, you know, being told as a kid, you were going to go to heaven and then people living in f fear. And those two things like made me think about Bruce Lipton, um, the biology of belief. He discovered epigenetics and he, talks about living heaven on earth every second of every day. Like the heaven isn't this thing outside of us away from us. Mm -hmm. It can happen right here. And heaven on earth is being fully conscious and fully alive right here, right now, living the fullest, truest expression of yourself, like living as this being of love. Like you can live heaven on earth right now, right here. Um, and when you do that, you're fully alive. And so there's no fear. And one thing I noticed when I had that like fence jumping experience was that um, there was no point in being afraid of everything or anything. There was nothing to be afraid of. Um, and I remember I was dating this guy years ago who had hiked the Appalachian trail and he was like, just the whole process. Um, by the time I met him, he had come to this place of like, like people are just people. They're not like, why would you be afraid of a person? Like there's nobody, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's, you know, you're just, you're just, like there's nothing to be afraid of. And I remember because of the timing of when I met him, like where I was in my personal evolution process, like that really locked in. And I remember like I swing dance and I remember going to a swing dance and you know, there's always like some trepidation around asking people because what if they say no? And you know, just the whole kind of like social awkwardness of the whole navigation. Um, and there was one particular lead who I hadn't seen before. And I, he was there with, seemed like his girlfriend or something, you know, and they kind of, the sort of the feeling of like, there's always a dances. There's always some couple that's like, oh, we just want to dance together and we don't want to dance with other people. And we're kind of good. And we just keep, you know, and so it's like, you feel a little bit like, well, I can't approach. I'm not, you know, but you're like, I really want to dance with them. And so he was sitting there, you know, at one point they were both sitting and I was like, what am I afraid of? Like, there's not what, like, what is going to happen to me? Nothing. Like he can say no. Okay. He says no. Like, you know, that, that mental looping where we get stuck and we don't go to the end game of like, what's the worst that could happen? Oh, that's actually not that bad. I'll live through that. I'll be okay. Um, but it's that, that fear is like, I'm going to die, right? I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be kicked out of the tribe. I'm going to be left in the woods by myself and I'm going to die. <laughs> you know, it's like some weird, completely dissociated reality that you're living in. And so I asked him to dance and he said, yes, because like, why wouldn't he, you yeah, know, like right? you've heard a social dance, like, it's, you know, um, but really getting that, you know, that the fear is, is so connected to a lack of life because if like you're picking up on, you know, and, and your daughter's picking up on that death, that feeling of being dead inside, like you're afraid to die because you're already dead. 
and there's no opportunity. You have this perceived experience that there's no opportunity for life once your body's dead because you're already dead and you missed out on your chance for being alive. You know, and it's like, because because we want to be incarnate. We want to experience life through this body. And so if we're not experiencing life through this body, we're afraid of never experiencing life because this is the only way that we know things through this body and this reality. Um, but yeah, it's totally, it's really, really um, fascinating and awesome to have that experience of, of seeing that, of just really experiencing that connection of like, I don't have to try to get rid of my fear. When I live like this and when I live as this, I don't feel the fear. And if the fear comes up, I come, it's like, it's like this. So, okay, like I'll give a little backstory around what happened to explain. So, um, okay, I'll give, I'll give the slightly longer backstory because it'll be more interesting, I guess, for, a few, for the rest of this conversation. But I, I've been, you know, I'm, I've talked about this so much on the podcast of wanting to be in a relationship and um, I dated somebody last year and I'm not, not dating them anymore. And it, you know, and I've just sort of been through this whole process, really working this from all these angles, trying to figure out like what I want, why isn't this happening? What, you know, just working it. And um, I came to, uh, kind of, I guess I got, <laughs> It sounds so ridiculous because it's like, duh, but it was like, oh, I want to like, if I actually want a relationship that I have to meet people and go on dates, maybe like try this, like get my skin in the game, like actually like participate in this part of reality and like acknowledge to myself that I actually want this kind of connection with somebody. Um, and so after hashing it out with a friend of mine, like, yeah, you got to make like an online dating profile. You just got to get over whatever the stuff is, the hangups. So I ended up making four <laughs> because they're all different. And um, where I live, uh, the ones that I would gravitate more towards don't have a lot of people around here <laughs> on them. I was like, well, I'll just, you know, do the mainstream ones just to see who's out there. But um, so in this process of sort of, navigating this reality of like dating and acknowledging what I want and like being fully engaged and alive with it. Um, I started to, I guess I like, I was starting to face a lot of my limiting beliefs and my limitations and like things that had kept me feeling like stuck and stagnant and, and dead in a way. Like my life is like blooming and expanding in all these other ways. And then it's like, every time I would connect around this part of my life, it's like my second chakra is like, you know, and just, that's my, my life force is like, nope, we're not going there. And so there's like a real feeling of stagnation or death or, you know, no energy. Um, and so I ended up I've been, so it's been an interesting unfolding process of like <laughs> the different kinds of interactions that I get on these different sites and, um, and what it's stimulating in me about like engaging more and engaging more and engaging more and like being sort of like shifting, shifting my, um, 
awareness around who I am and what I want and what I'm allowed to do and what I want to do. And um, there's been just a lot of layers of realizing like, I actually don't ever want a man to tell me what to do. <laughs> and like, not that, not, it's not, I guess it's not even about a man telling me what to do. It's about like the overstructure, like patriarchy telling me what to do kind of. Um, and so I came to um, this arrival point of like, oh my God, like there's a lot of polyamorous people around here. And I've always been really like freaked out by that probably is an appropriate term. And then something clicked because I've been like, I want more babies, but I don't want to do it the way I did it last time. So I have like all these rules about like how I need to go through the, this process in order to end up with another baby, you know? And like, it's not happening. Why is it not happening? It, this sort of the cycling mental crazy loop that I get in that like gets me nowhere and just like makes me bonkers about it. Um, and then I had this like expansive, like aha moment around polyamory and realized that like whether or not I end up living polyamorously, there's this openness that it created, like this open door that it allowed me to walk through of I have needs and I'm allowed to get them met and I get to speak them. I get to know what they are. I get to honor them fully and nobody else gets to tell me what they are or how I'm supposed to meet them or whether they're worth meeting or whether they're valid. Um, it's like, I get to choose directly in each moment what my need is and how I want to meet it and like be open and honest. And like, just, it's just like, it took all of the, the like tug of war out of this aspect of reality, this like relationship piece of working with men of just the whole thing. It was like, it totally cleaned the slate and, and really helped me own myself and like be back in myself and engaged with myself of who I am, which was a huge part. I mean, which was probably the, like 99% part of it for me of this like existential crisis around death. It's like, I cannot get to myself. I cannot hold myself because like what I realized at one point was like, I always wanted me. I always wanted me more than I wanted anything else, but I never felt like I was worth having because I didn't feel like I meant anything. Like I didn't, I didn't belong. I didn't, I didn't have a right to exist. I had no place on this earth. So why do I get to want me? You know, it's like, I should be gone. I shouldn't be here. I have no right. And so coming to that and going, oh, wait, but no, I actually, I get to, I get to just be here and I get to have my needs and I get to honor them. And like, nobody else gets to say anything at all about them. And if they do, I don't have to listen because like, it's, it's me. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to explain. But so I came to this big thing around like who I am and my, my worth. And then I, um, you know, as God is so loving and generous, like with synchronicities in the way that the universe provides. Um, I kind of went through this process with, you know, I was still shedding layers of it and going through processes. And then I happened to get back on my phone and, you know, the different apps would be like, here's your daily match or whatever. <laughs> and so I got one and I'm reading through it. I'm like, you gotta be shitting me. Like this guy was, a, I, <laughs> 
<laughs> it was sort of a moment of like, are you serious? Are you for real? Is this real? Is this like an actual profile? Like, is there what? And I can't, I still can't even really wrap my mind around it because it was like, it was like, it's like God <laughs> wrote this profile for me versus it like being this dude who like is this person and wrote about himself, you know? But God did write it for you. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but every like every question that he answered, I was like, this is like the this is the right answer. This is the, the right answer. It's the perfect answer. Like there couldn't be a better answer here. How did you know that that was the answer? You know, like you aced this test. Yeah. Um, and so really it was like just all of the, all of the um, kind of nonsense that I'd been looping through around relationships and around men and the kind of men that I attract and the kind of men that I'm attracted to. And then I end up in a relationship with, and just the dynamic that I end up in, like how I cycle, just who I become and how I cycle through things, all that stuff was like stark contrast, massive clarity around like, right. Oh, this one, that's actually what I want. And that's actually where I'm going. Like whether it's that guy or not, you know, whatever, but as the representative of the, the model of what I have been um, trying to get to in myself around the kind of relationship with the kind of person that I want to be with. And, and it just put everything else in stark contrast. And I could see how I had been living in this way that just like was not at all supportive of what I actually want and where I'm actually going. And in Joe Dispenza terms, Joe Dispenza terms, he talks about, you know, like, is this loving to you? And I've asked that question to myself so many times and I've looked at my life and I'm like, this is not loving to me and this is not loving to me, but it was just so many disparate things that I couldn't look at like the whole package and say, oh, this whole package sucks and none of it is loving to me and none of it ever was loving to me and I don't have to live any of it anymore. And, and then, so then I'm reading this guy's profile and he talks about the, who he's looking for on this app, you know, like the, the woman that he wants to meet. And it was just, I mean, a short little paragraph, but it was like the key points. And I read that and I thought, like, this guy is totally representative of my ideal. And I, I you know, in Joe Dispenza's terms, again, he always talks about, you know, people are like, why am I not in a relationship? Why am I not finding the person? He's like, well, write a list of who you're looking for and then become that so that you attract that to you. Like, put that energy into the field so that you receive it. And I have been working and working and working on becoming the person that I want to be in relationship with becoming this, whatever this, this ideal of myself. Um, but I've been doing it from the place of hating myself. And of like this place of self-loathing where it's like, these are all the things that I need to heal. And I know that somewhere out there, there's this version of me that's bright and beautiful and radiant and, and um, compassionate and loving and open-hearted and confident and strong and like all these things that I am, but I'm also not. Um, and and like somehow if I just keep clearing and I keep shedding and I keep doing all this stuff, I'm gonna get there, which is true and also not. Um, and so, so, so it was just 
um, so I looked at what he wrote about what he wants is for his partner. And I was like, I'm, I'm not actually, not that I'm not worthy of him, but like, I'm not up to snuff because I'm not that. And that is actually what I want to be. And so, and it was so simple. Like I have, I've like overly complicated this because I'm looking at it through the lens of trauma, through the lens of all my shit, through the lens of I suck, through the lens of my unworthiness, through the lens of all the things that are wrong with me that need to be fixed. And, <clears throat> you know, how many times have I been told, like, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing that needs to be fixed. There's no arrival point. You know, it's all within you, like all that stuff. Like I've known, I know, I know, I know you hear that, you know, everybody hears that that's part of the teaching, you know, and it gets drilled in enough times that it actually clicks, but I couldn't, I couldn't get it. And as Joe Dispenza would say, you know, you can't think greater than how you feel. Like you're, if you meet the problem at the same level of mind that created that problem, you're not going to solve that problem. You have to meet it from a greater level of mind. And, and I have been incrementally doing that, but I haven't been able to like make the big extraction where I'm like actually up here looking at all of it. And that man, hit me at the it was you know right place right time got right through with those like six sentences about what he was looking for i was like i am none of those things yet and then it's like but those are the things that i want to be that's who i want to be okay so who would i be if i were all those things like who, how would that feel who would who would i become like what what does that feel like to be me who loves you know it was, I mean, it was simple. It was like, who loves myself? Who is confident in who I am and why I'm here and, and confident in my body and had, um, there's one other piece I can't remember. There's like, just simple, simple little things of, you know, like the basics. And it's like, yeah, no, that's actually what I want. And who am I if I'm, if I'm living from that place, if I live from self-love and I, and if I, who am I if I feel confident in who I am and why I'm here and I, and I love myself and I love my body and I'm like, just good. <laughs> and, and I, I got it. I got like Joe Dispenza. I can't tell you how many times I've heard him say this in my ear, like, you know, teaching your body to feel the emotion ahead of the experience and drawing your body there. And I've tried and I've worked at it and I've just done all this stuff. And I finally got it. I finally, it finally clicked. And I could feel her and see her and immediately embody her and internalize her on such a deep level that I can go back there. Like I can, all I have to do is say, what does it look like to live from self-love in this moment? Like instead of self-loathing. And, and so long, long story way around this, but what I was getting at before around, like there's this distinct feeling of how that feels. And it is so uh, so specific. It is so distinct from everything else. It's not like a version of how I've felt in the past. It is like, it's like there is a wall that gets put up around this not in a negative protective way, but it's like, it's like the, you shall not pass. We've, we've talked about on this podcast before, like there is a, there is a line in the sand and I'm not crossing it. And when I see my toe going over, I say no. And I go back. And, and there's been this, like people talk, especially women, I think will like kind of look at Joe Dispenza's work and be like, it's really masculine. It's really like, you know, this forcing, and it's like, it's not, it's a different thing. It's a different level of consciousness of 
not having to go back into the trauma and heal that. It's just, you just recognize, you put your foot down and you say, no, I'm done. And that's no more. And I, I'm done with the past. I'm done living from that place. I'm done experiencing any of that. I'm over here now. I jumped the fence and I'm going to live over here now where the grass is greener and life is more beautiful. And, and it's just like this crazy thing. But in that place, there isn't fear. There's no space for fear because you know who you are because it's this, it's like all of the shit falls away and you're in the distilled essence of who you are because it's like this, this, the core, like you, when you, that experience of being in the core of who you are, that everything else around it is just like distraction from that piece. But that's the only piece that matters. And if you live into that, it's like this expansive reality that, that is fully, can be fully alive, fully engaged, doesn't need fear. So that was a really long story. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I just really love the way your brain works <laughs> because you think you always think of these things that I don't think of. And, um, like one thing I was thinking of while you were talking is, um, like, okay, so you set out like this, you made your map of like, kind of like what you're looking for in a man and this person on here matched all of that up. And then you looked at what they wanted. I would never look at what somebody else wanted. Right. Like, it's so interesting to me. I'm like, Oh wow. Like you're, I don't know. You're very thorough, but, um, I don't know. So, and I think sometimes it can be a, that can be detrimental, but also I yeah. think used in the right way. It can be, that's a really great thing about you. Um, but, uh, it's so interesting because it's like, I, I made that list too. Like in, in my twenties, I, every guy I dated, I would like refine the list, you know, and I made that list. And whenever I met Sam, I was like, all right, that's it. You know? And the things that he didn't meet on the list were like really things that were superficial and didn't matter or whatever. But, um, basically he met all the important parts of the list, but I never thought about <laughs> what he was looking for. Um, but it's worked out so far, but, uh, <laughs> And it's just so, I don't know. It's just this, it's just so interesting to me, this, um, I don't, yeah, I don't know how to even, where this even takes me, but, um, I'm just thinking of, it doesn't really matter like what the external situation is, or even like in the partnership. So I'll just take this to a partnership, like a relationship example, like, it doesn't actually, it didn't, it doesn't now actually really matter in my daily life if Sam matched up to that list, right? Like he matched up to that list and that was important at the time. And it's, and for the bigger picture of our life, it's important because we've created this life basically based on that list. Like we wanted, and it was big stuff. Like we wanted to live rurally. We wanted to like live off the land. We wanted to travel. We wanted to, you know, have like a certain kind of family structure, like all of these things. So in a way those are important, but I never really think about those things because um, it really doesn't matter because his shit still comes up. My shit still comes up. And so you have to deal with this new person. I was just thinking about him today. Like, watching him work like this is not even the person that I signed up for like 10 years ago and that's not a that's not a negative like it's great like he's better now than he was 10 years ago and I'm sure that I'm better than I was 10 years ago um so it's like you're not even the real important part for me was uh 
was knowing that I had a partner who was going to do the inner work that, that who was on the same level that would be willing to do the inner work. Like I was willing to do the inner work because it's, that's my game. Like all the time I'm doing my inner work and I could, I had been with people who weren't doing that and it just didn't work. It's like, I don't really care. I don't really care in a lot of ways, like who Sam becomes. I just want him to always becoming better, a better version of himself. And I can appreciate that, whatever that self is. And there's a lot of areas that we don't agree on things, but as long as he's being true to himself, it doesn't really bother me because like you were saying, I belong to me. I love myself. And no matter what, nobody comes before me. I come, you know, before I come to myself. And so like, he really is a secondary part of my life, even though it's a huge part of my life. Like I'm always living my own thing all the time. And these people are people that I tend to, <laughs> you know, they're here in this thing with me and I love them very much and I love them more every day. And also like, they still drive me crazy. And all, like, cause I just so often want to be in my own space doing my own work, but I couldn't be doing my own work in any kind of meaningful way without them. So it all goes together. But yeah, it's like this, I don't know. It's so interesting. I've never been in a relationship for, for 10 years before. This is the first time I've done it. And before it was like five years, you know, and I would get to this place of closing down myself and then I would never open back up in those relationships. And there was a reason for that because there was no point in me opening back up because those relationships were never going to flower. So I just went dormant. And then, you know, soon after I would get out of that. And then now I'm in this relationship where every time I start to close down, I am required to open back up. I have to open back up. And part of that is because we have this whole beautiful life together. And if I close down, I lose that. So it's like choking off the life force and life wants to live. And if I'm aligned with life, which is what my mission is, I am aligned with life. And every time I see myself aligning with death, I have to catch myself and say, no, that's the death program. And I'm aligned with life. And so what does that look like? And how does that shift? And that always means that I have to communicate with my partner, even though I may be like, oh, that motherfucker. <laughs> like, I just hate that he said that or did that or whatever. It always means that I have to have communication. And sometimes it means I have to wait a long time before I have that communication with him. Um, and like finding the right moments or whatever, so that it's more successful is really important to me now. And that was never important to me before, but it's just, um, it is interesting. You know, I'm all for the list. Like I totally feel like I, I made that list so many times before I had, before I had met Sam. And so I'm all for that list. And also it doesn't really matter because what we really are looking for is someone to, I think what, what, at least what I'm looking for, and I think probably what you're looking for is someone that's going to like ride the rails with you. Like they're going to go the distance, right? Like you want to be in a relationship where somebody's going to do the work. And that's the most important part is that you do the work because as you grow, you're going to grow separately and you're going to grow together. So it's this constant, like double helix moving together of growing together and apart and together and apart. And I remember the first time I heard something like this, my friend was telling me about her friends and they had been together for like 20 years and how it worked in their relationship is that, um, 
one of them would grow and the other one was like back here, still in the same place. And then the other one would pause and the other one would grow and then move forward. And I see that so much in my relationship now. It's like, I'm usually leading the way, the spiritual path, because that's my role as the holder of the circle of this family. And as the divine feminine, that's my role is that I have to constantly take care of the spirit. And as long as I take care of my spirit, then my, then my spirit shows up as the embodiment of divine feminine. And when divine feminine is there, divine masculine has to show up. That's a law. That's not a request. That's a law. It has to happen. And I see that happen all the time in my relationship. And I, so for me, what the real work is, is like, as far as my relationship goes, what the real work is, is me always tending to myself. I always prioritize myself first. I am centered in this family, whether or not anybody else were to center me, I center myself. And so that means like, I do things that I need to do that make me happy, like this podcast. And maybe my family, it like, is inconvenient for them, but I don't care because it brings me joy. And I've created a structure where this is consistent that we do this. And so like everybody just has to get on board. And um, so when I center myself, then I'm happier and I can show up as divine feminine. And then I attract out of my partner, divine masculine. And I just see that all the time. I watch how he transforms in front of me from being like a total putz to like, Oh, well, I, you know, I was wrong and da, 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 you know, like going through the thing of like correcting himself. So I don't actually have to do that work. And that's something that I did have tried to do for men in the past. Like, and I think a lot of women get into this of like, oh, well, I have to do my work and your work. That's bullshit. And it made me hate men for a long time because yeah. I was having to do the man's <laughs> work too. And the truth is we don't have to do the man's work. We take that on because as women, a lot gets dumped on us and we're programmed to believe that like we have, that that's how we have to tend the circle, but that's not tending the circle. Tending the circle begins with prioritizing yourself right, as the mother, prioritizing yourself as the divine feminine. And then everything works around that. And so I don't have to take care of his work. And I remind myself all the time, like that's not my work. He has to do that work and I'm just going to do my work and he's going to figure that out. And trusting that he's going to figure that out because God has my back. <laughs> and as long as I am living in my um, best self or the highest or aiming towards the highest version of myself always, then it works out. And I remember one of my friends said this to me before, and I think about this a lot because, you know, I've talked a little bit on this podcast about how our relationship has gone through really hard times and um, basically all the boundaries that I had set that were like deal breakers all have been broken. You know, like we've been through so many different manifestations of reality with each other. And I remember one of my friends saying, the thing about you all is that you're always moving towards health. No matter what happens, you're always moving towards health. And I think about that because it's a reminder to me really, like, are we moving towards health or are we moving towards destruction? And so, you know, at this point, we don't really fight that much, but there were definitely times in our relationship where we were like having serious fights. I remember one time I kicked over a heater. I was like, kicked it across the room. You know, like we had some serious fights, but in the end, it, we always became closer after those situations. And so that's like, and because I came from having like this background, have like having this background noise of like domestic violence and being around that, 
it was really alarming to me. Like when we would get in these big fights, I was like, oh, this is definitely not healthy. Like got to lead this situation. But on the other side of that, we would move towards this place of health and be closer. And um, I don't know. So in the long run, it has worked out. And now we, we rarely we rarely have like actual like fights or whatever. We just have conversations at this point. Cause at some point you realize like, I don't actually have to yell because that's what would happen is I would just go into it and be like, I don't like that you did that. Just like yelling. And it's like, Oh, I could have just said, I don't really like that you did that. Like I didn't have to like go in that room yelling, you know, like, and, and I started to see at this point, probably like probably around the time we had Walela that we would come into the situation already escalated. And then like after five minutes, we would come back down and like just have a normal conversation. It's like, so why did we even start in the escalation? Cause we just assumed it was gonna go bad because of programming. So then we just decided we're not gonna do that separately. Mm -hmm. We didn't really have the conversation about that, but like I just decided I wasn't gonna meet him at like level 10. I was gonna meet him at like level one and we'll figure it out. Um, but it is just so, the aligning with life thing is really important. And this is in all areas. I mean, there are, there are so many ways where people may seem to have like this beautiful, perfect life, but they're still aligned with death and aligned with lack and aligned with scarcity, fear, all of these things are the death program. And so if you're aligned with death, it's like that saying, if you're a hammer, everything you see is a nail. So if you're aligned with death, all you're seeing around you is how shitty this world is, how stupid human beings are, how, you know, we don't belong on this planet, how we ruin everything we touch and how the world would be better off without us. And I was, I have, I have spent a lot of time in that, in that mindset. And then once I decided that I was going to align with life and not death, now all I can see is the beauty. And so I see people doing stupid stuff or I see, you know, destruction. And sometimes it does get me a little bit miffed, but I think about it and I'm like, well, everything is perfect. So all I have to do is live my reality. And that was another thing. I didn't realize that people could live alternate realities. Like we're all living an alternative reality. Even if we can communicate, um, even if you and I can communicate on the same level, your reality is totally different from my reality, right? So we're all living in our own bubble, whether we know it or not. And so now that I know it, my whole goal is mastering that, like creating that which I want to see in the world. And so I just create beauty as much as I can. And, um, you know, also allowing space for like the destruction, you know, that's the goddess Kali, like the destroyer of all things so that life can be reborn. And, um, I just, I experience that basically every day of my life. <laughs> I feel like that's my, my, uh, I guess the way I function in the world is I really can be a destroyer a lot and I'm constantly, you know, uh, destroying things in my life and then building things back up. And every time I destroy though, it's destroying for life. So it's different from destroying for death. Like, it's like I was saying with my partner, if I close back down and then I leave, that's destroying for death. But if I close down and then I open back up and we come to this whole new place, that's destroying for life. So I'm destroying this part of our relationship or this part of myself so that I can become this whole new thing. And so it's like you can apply some of the same 
principles of the deaf program to the life program, but it's like, what's the end outcome? Like you can always see what you're aligned with by the end outcome. So is the end outcome that you're closer with your partner or you're closer um, or your life is better or is the end outcome that you just keep going farther and farther down the shithole? Um, and I did that for so long and um, it's really easy to slip back down in that <laughs> in that latrine but uh i yeah just constantly reminding myself that to choose life to choose life to choose life and that doesn't mean i i know that people just often sugarcoat things or they they don't believe that bl like black and white can exist together or that um dark and light can exist together but when you choose life you see that even a demon is life. Even the most evil being you can experience is life. So if you're choosing life, you're choosing to see all of life as opposed to when you're choosing death, you're only choosing to see the darkness. But yeah. if you choose life, you're choosing to see the light and the darkness together and how they live together. And, you know, if you spend enough time in nature, you see that, like you see that, you see that the vulture, we talked about the vulture medicine, like the vulture takes the dead thing, which is really sad. Like roadkill to me is really sad that people just hit an animal on the side of the road and leave it. Like it's disgusting and it's sad. And I think it's one of the worst things about human beings is that we just leave dead bodies on the side of the road. But then the vulture comes in and is like, oh, look at this beautiful thing. Here's my lunch today. I don't have to work for this. Just go down there and eat it. And they're so happy about it and they're thriving. You know, they just they're beautiful. I think vultures are beautiful, but, um, yeah. So aligning with life, that's where that takes me. <laughs> oh, that's also good. Um, <clears throat> so a couple of directions, but it's all the same. So that way of aligning with life versus aligning with death, like it made me think about parenting and how, <clears throat> um, Andrea Olson, who wrote, uh, she wrote the Go Diaper Free book. Um, anyone out there who's interested in elimination communication, she's an excellent resource. Um, but one thing that's like just stuck with me for the last five or six years was, you know, you're struggling with the EC or you're struggling with, you know, whatever aspect of pottying your baby or toddler and like it can get really frustrating, but just come back to the long-term goals of connection, like focus on connecting and not on achieving whatever like milestone or whatever it is you're trying to achieve. And <clears throat> that was a really hard one for me for a really long time, but it's really, it's really sunk in a lot. Um, because it just, I can just see such stark contrast between like when I get fixated on an outcome and it's like thinking that this thing or this, you know, this, way of behaving in my child or this, um, thing that I'm trying to accomplish with her or whatever it is, is like the end goal. And then <laughs> like driving in on that, um, at the expense of the connection, um, creates, it's like, it, that's the death program, right? It, it creates dissonance. It creates lack of connection. It creates more problems, um, versus, like engaging, like, so it's typically something happens that I don't like, or something is happening and I want it to be different. And, um, so instead of engaging and connecting, I disengage and focus on the thing. Mm. And, and then 
you can just see they're just like these two divergent paths. <laughs> and you like I can watch myself at times when I'm like not as on it and able to click over, but like I can watch myself like going down the divergent path. And it's like, no, I know this is taking me nowhere. I know, but I'm just like so irritated and I just want this to be different. And somehow I'm going to convince myself that if I keep going to the, down this path, I'm going to get what I want. It's like, no, you're not going to get what you want. You're never going to get what you want going down that path. Because when you have a child who doesn't want to listen to you and feels disconnected, they're not going to do anything that you want. And they're just going to do more things that irritate you. And it's just going to snowball and get worse and worse and worse. Um, but it's just really interesting to, to be able to watch. It's like, it's like the fence, right? If you just, this seems to be the analogy that's been working for me lately, but like there's one side of the fence and the other side of the fence on the one side of the fence, it's like fields of poppies and daisies and it's beautiful and lush and green. And on the other side of the fence, like it's dead <laughs> and like, which side of the fence do you want to be on? Um, <laughs> but it's like, it's weird. It's like you get on the dead side of the fence and you start going and it's like, you can see yourself getting farther and farther because you're going like away from that fence, right? You're, you're seeing yourself getting farther and farther away from this lush, beautiful field. And you're like, if I just keep going this way, somehow I'm going to go back that way. It's like, no, you actually have to just stop and completely redirect. Um, which huh, I just love Joe Dispenza so much. I mean, he has just made my life amazing. I mean, me doing the work, but like, he just, he has, he has an answer for everything. He just, everywhere I, like I get stuck through this podcast, I, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> everywhere I get stuck, I can find him, you know? And, um, and he, I mean, he definitely doesn't want to be a guru. He doesn't want, it's like not about him and it's not about him, but, um, it's just, he's just such a blessing to humanity and to me, I think, but you know, that you, he has this meditation where you literally like in the meditation, you watch yourself doing an old pattern or behavior or whatever. And you say, stop. <laughs> and you feel what that feels like to actually stop it dead in its tracks. Cause it's already dead. Right. So you're just like stopping it dead in its tracks. And then you find the other reality that you want to create the other behavior, the other thought, the other, whatever it is. And then you turn around and you redirect and you go back to that and you create that. Um, and so now that I'm doing that meditation regularly, I see it. I just see these moments where I'm like, yeah, choosing in your terms, choosing the death program of like, this is taking me nowhere fast and I need to stop. And when I stop, there's that space, there's that pause. And in that space is the possibility of creating something new. Um, there was something else that you talked about that I was really resonating with. Um, can't remember. Well, I find like with, with my daughter, something that I always ha keep coming back to is when we get into those sticky places where things are really hard, if I can just get to a point where I can say the words, do you need a hug? <laughs> no matter how angry I am at her, if I can get to that place, that's usually the solution or at least the doorway to the solution. And yeah. it's, it can be really hard for me to get to that place if I'm really angry at her, because like I said, I want to close down, but if I can just remind myself, and sometimes I have to be like, you know, that if you just get a hug, it's going to make everything better. Just ask for the hug, just ask her if she wants a hug. And, um, it's, it's really, it's just like so stupid how hard it can be. But um, 
it's interesting. And so she's been sleeping in her own room. And, and one of the things now is that she has to put herself to sleep because the big thing was she would sleep in her own room, but somebody had to stay in there with her until she fell asleep. And then if she woke up in the middle of the night, you had to come in there with her until she fell asleep again. And it just is like, you know, that's crazy making. So I just decided like, this is what you're going to do. You're going to put yourself to sleep. I'm going to come in here and read you a book and I'm going to like paint magic all over you and like just have this beautiful experience. I'm going to play this music for you and you're going to go to sleep. And there's been two nights. Um, this has been like for a week and a half now that she's been doing this and it's been great. And, but there's been two nights the first night. And then the one of the nights after those people who were here left um, where she just, the first night it was like three hours of her, literally just going ape shit crazy. And, um, and it was interesting because it started, I mean, it's like alarming cause it's not my child. And, you know, I'm like looking at her like, this is not even my kid. Like, who are you? But it started with her, like her dad tried to put her to bed and she didn't want to go to sleep. And so that night was the night I was like, we're going to do this now. Like you're putting yourself to sleep. So I talked to her for a while and she told me when we were having the conversation before it all went down, she said, I just want to know what it feels like to feel strong. And I was like, okay. Like to me, I heard that and I thought it's a power thing. Right. And I knew like Neptune was in this certain place that was like all about power and illusion and all this stuff. So I was like, okay, this is totally hitting her birth chart and she wants to experience power. And so I was like, well, I'll tell you what's really powerful is if you sleep in this room on your own, and then she started down this whole downward spiral or whatever, and which is really easy to get caught up in because it's like a tornado. And so I just started having this conversation with her about the monster that lives inside all of us. And that if you feed the monster, then the monster will eat everybody alive. And if you don't feed the monster and you feed the good, you keep the monster in the cage, then you know the monster is not going to eat everybody. And so she was like, well, I don't want to get eaten by the monster. And I'm like, well, and she's like, who is the monster? I was like, you're the monster and you'll eat yourself if you don't like stop this and like choose good. So we had this whole conversation about the monster and how, like, what's the point of the monster? And the monster serves a purpose because the monster protects us. The monster is like this part of us that we can unleash and use for protection or we can use when we need to defend ourselves or whatever. But you always have to keep the monster contained until it's time to release like you have to master the monster and so there it's kind of funny it was really horrible at the time but i had to even laugh in the moment because she's like yelling and she's like i'm gonna feed the monster <laughs> you know, i just like girl you know it's not gonna work out if you feed that monster just choose good and i'm like trying really hard to stay calm and at this time she's in her room and i'm outside the door and the door is closed and I've like got this energetic force fill around the door. I'm like, you can't leave the room. And for whatever, I, I don't know if I would have listened as a kid. I think I would have just barged out. But because my kid is way uh, sweeter than I am, she like stays in there and is like, I just let me out, you know? Um, so I'm sitting outside the door and we're going through this whole thing about the monster. And like, she's just saying things that she's never said before. Like the meanest thing she could think of, which is, I don't even like you, mommy. You're a bad mommy. And I'm like... God, you know, this is like really getting amped up, but I'm thinking I used to tell my mom I hated her. Like we're not even, my daughter doesn't even know what the word hate means, you know? So at least we're not there, but it was a really intense and sad situation. And, and I was like getting, feeling myself just like calming myself down, but still feeling like the energy rising in me. 
And I finally, when she said, I don't even like you, mommy, I just got like really sad. And I was like, wow, okay, we've just crossed a threshold that we've never been to before. She's never said those words before or had those feelings to my knowledge. And like, that's really sad to me. And so then it was like a big red flag to me that like, how can I reconnect? Like, how can I make this better? Because now if we go any farther down that path, it's going to be like my relationship with my mother, which is just not a good relationship and not the one that I want to have with my child. And so like, I have to do something other than that, or, you know, I had to figure out a way around this. And so I'm just sitting there and I'm like, all I have to do is just be here and be calm. And then I just, at some point though, it was like getting crazy. It was like two and a half hours in. <laughs> I was just like, all right, you want to see a monster? I'm going to be the biggest monster that you've ever seen. And I'm going to eat you. And she was like, ah! <laughs> and she jumped in bed and she covered up and she's like, I don't want you to eat me. I was like, if you don't want me to become a mommy monster, you need to get in that bed right now and go to sleep. So she gets in her bed and then I start singing to her and I start singing her these lullabies that she likes. And it was like, everything got better. And she was like, I love you, mama. I'm sorry. And then the next day, my whole family got together and it was like, obviously a rough night because even Sam came outside and we're all sitting on the porch and we're just talking about it. Like I'm talking to Sam about it. And then she, usually she just listens to Sam and I talk about like what happened or whatever. And, but this time she got involved and she was like, yeah, I didn't really like that. I fed the monster. And so I was like, okay, how does it feel in your body? And it just led to this whole thing of like, her being involved that we have this really terrible experience as a family and that we as a family don't want to have that experience anymore. And like that we have a choice that we don't have to have those experiences and together we can remind each other not to go there. And so it ended up being this really beautiful thing that brought us closer. And so then like a week later when she has another one of these experiences where she's just like going insane in the bedroom um, I just told her, are you going to feed the monster or are you going to feed the good? And she's like, I don't want to feed the monster, but the monster really wants me to feed the monster. And I'm like, I know, but you have to be more powerful than the monster. Right. And so she's going through this whole thing. And I just like opened the door and I was like, all right, do you just want to hug? And she was like, no. And I said, okay, well, if you want to hug, I'm just sitting here. And she just comes out and gives me a hug. And then the whole thing just like dissipates. So it was like an hour of building tension and then it just dissipated with a hug and so it's like these simple little things of just connecting like just not retreating into ourselves when we get into these sticky situations just whatever we can do just like point like putting your finger out and just connecting with them especially our kid but with anybody it can just totally shift everything because what the other person expects is for it to keep escalating and for mm -hmm. a fight to ensue and if you can just connect, it disarms the whole thing. And so for me, it's been a really, and also what I'm realizing is that these have been the two most powerful experiences as a mother where I feel the most powerful. Like mothering is something I have not felt very powerful doing. Like it's not something I'm really good at and I really struggle with it. And so these two moments, even though they were these huge experiences were very powerful for me in feeling my own power and like what it means to hold space for mm -hmm. my child. And mm -hmm. then, you know, I talked to my mentor and she was like, Cameron, you're raising a baby dragon. And she's like, 
showing you she's a baby dragon and she's trying to see if there's any other baby, any other dragons around because she doesn't want to be alone. So you got to show her you're a dragon too. So when you told her, if you want to see a monster, like I'll be a monster, she's like, you're showing her you're a dragon too. And that you understand what it's like to be a dragon. Otherwise she thinks she's a dragon living with a bunch of lambs and that doesn't work. Like a dragon has to be raised by a dragon. That's how it works. So, you know, it's just, and then this is another example of the choosing life thing. So like we could say that like, oh, that was a violent experience or that was an intense experience and we're not supposed to have those. But like, yes, we are. <laughs> life mm -hmm. is all the things. Life is all the things. And it may not feel good in the moment. And there's also a lesson in it for everybody. And that's the beautiful part. It's like, what comes out of it? What's the lesson for everybody? And like, our children need to know that like we are in charge and that we have this and that they don't have to worry about safety and like controlling themselves on their own because we're going to help them do that. That's our job is to help them. And I know like it a lot in like attachment parenting, there's a lot of like shame around that, like disciplining our children or whatever, but I'm not like definitely not saying just like beat your child, but I am saying that like things that you may think are too intense, like me yelling at my kid and saying, I'm going to eat you. <laughs> Some people might, that might be really triggering, but that was exactly, and I knew when I said it, that was exactly what she needed to know. She needed to know that I was bigger than her and that I mm. was holding the space and that like, this is what's going to happen. She needed to know exactly what was expected of her. And um, yeah, so that's that. <laughs> wow. That's really interesting. Cause I literally had an experience like that this morning um, on a small scale, but that's something I feel like, like on a moment to moment basis, as I'm parenting and navigating like the emotional landscape of this, um, I'm always, <laughs> it's like, I have all these things in the ether that I've, you know, read or whatever. And um, it's like, I'll like, <laughs> Like I'm thumbing through the references, like as I'm going, like I'll try pulling them from this, I'll pull from this. I'm, I feel like that's probably what most moms do. Um, <clears throat> but there's like all these different aspects and tactics, um, not as manipulation, but like tools uh, for navigating these situations. And um, the book that I've talked about a lot, the Hunt Gather Parent book, um, that one is like hangs in the ethers a lot because there's, a, there's this aspect um, that came really, came out really strong for me from that book about, you know, the modeling of the behavior, but then also, I mean, I guess you could use the term boundaries, but like setting the, setting the standards, setting the expectations for what's acceptable behavior and what's not. And it's really about behavior and it's not about the child. It's just like, that's not okay. And I'm not going to tolerate that. And I don't have to like get down on my knees and be like, honey, I really don't like that you're doing that. You know, you can just be like, no, this is unacceptable. And I've really, I've like struggled with that one a lot because I've, because you can do it from a death program or you can do it from a life program. And I have historically done it from a death program because it, for me, there's been so much sensory overload as this experience of mothering that just like has been off the charts for most of the time, like beyond what I could handle, um, like just sense all senses. And, <clears throat> and so my, the only way that I could come to of like not becoming like crazy angry was to just completely shut down. And, 
And so I'd be like, no. And then just like close out and shut down, which puts a wall, creates more disconnection, creates more of the shit that I don't want to be experienced, creates her screaming more, crying more, being more of the, all the things, doing whatever she's doing to me or, you know, doing whatever she's doing in general. Um, and, and I have shifted um, in, I don't know, maybe the past year, I've really, or six months or so, it's really, I mean, I read that book a year ago and it's been working on me. Um, and I've been trying to like, as I've been healing and, and working through my stuff that's caused me to like shut down um, and working, becoming, shifting from being death programmed to being life programmed and like engaging, connecting, going in versus retreating. Um, I've been able to shift, shift that way of relating and, and seeing, seeing myself as um, holding a line versus shutting down and disconnecting. And so there are moments where like, she'll be totally bonkers for whatever reason and doing all these things to me that in the past would have been super triggering and I would have lashed out about and been really angry about. And, um, and because I don't wanna do that, cause that's awful and doesn't feel good for either one of us. And it's to completely ineffective. Um, and also not feeling like I could connect and be like soft and gentle with her because a lot of times that also doesn't that like makes it worse too in a different way um i i just have to like draw the line draw the line in the sand and say no i'm not i'm not engaging with this and like i went for a long time it was like <laughs> i would try to disengage from it but like needing permission from her to disengage with it so that she knew that i wasn't um neglecting her or whatever it was like a big concern around that so i would try to be like it's okay for you to feel however you feel it's just not okay for you to do this or do that and whatever and like the the parents that she talks about in that book she talks about this one interaction where she's got her child who's maybe like three at the time and they're like at this cafe and she's talking with this woman from the community that she's interviewing and the kid is just like Oh, they're in a booth and she's just like all over the place and like making all this noise and trying to distract and get the other woman's attention. And the other woman just looks at her at the child, but like just above her head and just keeps talking to the author, like as if like nothing's happening, but she's basically like, you don't exist right now because your behavior is unacceptable and I'm still talking and I'm going to just not even see you. And and I, I've tried doing that. I maybe haven't done it effectively or because it's just the two of us, it's not as effective. Um, and I've also, you know, based on my individual child and our individual history and, you know, various realities about our life that are distinct from that reality. Um, I also make different choices at different times around like giving her attention in certain situations where she's really demanding it. Um, but there's something about that. It's like, like, no, I'm the adult here and I don't have to, uh, I don't have to do anything about this. This is like, this is not okay behavior and I'm not going to support it by condemning it. And I'm not going to support it by condoning it. I'm just going to completely overlook it and, and like pretend it doesn't exist. Um, again, in a pro life, not pro life, life in a <laughs> life program versus death program. Cause you could also ignore it in a death program. Like it really is 
it's not what you're doing, but how you do it, the energetics behind the choice. Um, and, and like when I try to ignore it from a death program, it totally doesn't work. But if I ignore it and I like, I feel that, I feel what you're talking about, like that inner strength, that core of like, like I am, I am strong and I am powerful and I am the mother and I am, I decide and I am holding this line. Um, and that's sort of like just a, such a fucking awesome feeling. It's so badass. You're like, oh yes. And that <laughs> is <it>. like, <laughs> yes. But then like, that's, I mean, what else is your barometer for like, do I, am I nailing this or not? Right? Like that feeling of like, if I feel strong, I don't feel powerful over. It's not that it's a yeah. strong, it's an inner core strength. If I feel that, that is like the most supportive for me and everybody else, because then I'm in my power and I'm coming to this from that place of self and power that I can be the most effective. Um, so yeah, I had a moment this morning where, um, we were like totally fine and we had to go out and pick up milk and then we came home and I think it was probably like the, what are we doing for the rest of the day question that there's right moments for things, you know? And sometimes <laughs> I try to just be like, yeah, I could just say things to her and she'll be fine. It's like, no, I, I do actually have to <laughs> time things out strategically, but um, something about like, and I had weird energy around it too. Cause like my mom's going to make a spontaneous visit here soon. And so it's like, my house hasn't been cleaned in two weeks and I'm just like a little overwhelmed and I'm overwhelmed by a lot of things. And just this feeling of like, I just need to like get this shit in order. And, um, and she kind of lost it around that because she doesn't want to help. And, and she's, there's this whole thing. She wants a cat. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to get a cat if I end up being the one who's taking for, care of it. Cause I can't take care of any other life by myself right now. Like I'm just, that's not, I'm not going to do that. If you want to be able to do that, like you have to, you're just too, you're too young. You're too little right now. Like you need to be more responsible. You need to show like in life. She's like, no, but I will, I'll take care of it. I was like, well, you could show me in your life how responsible you're becoming by doing these kinds of things. And so it came up in the car where she was like, oh, I don't want to help. I don't want to do it. Can I go over to this person's house and do this? And I was like, well, that's why I won't get a cat because it's stuff like that, where like you, when I see you stepping up to take some responsibility for things, then I will, you know, then we can talk about it. But so that just kind of like went nowhere fast. But so, so then we're um, walking up the path I don't know. I had, I had all the milk and I needed, I just like, I, we get stuck at the car and I just hate getting stuck at the car. It's like, can we just get out of the car and go in the house? Can I just unload all of the many bajillion things that I have in the car and the food and that needs to go in the fridge? Like, can we just go in the house? And so that wasn't happening. And she was just kind of like having a freak out in the car. And I was like, okay, I need to go in the house. And she was getting upset and like, it's like, I opened the door, you know, wanting me to wait. And so I like open the door and nothing's happening. I'm like, okay, I need to go in the house. I'm going to go in the house now. And so I start going down the house, down the path to the house. And she runs after it. She's like, starts screaming and crying and runs after me and starts grabbing my clothes, which is something that she has done for years. And invariably is like super triggering for me. Really, really, really upsets me. And I've had different ways of dealing with it in the past. Like in <laughs> a few years ago, I remember her 
doing it once. And so I just like wiggled out of my shirt and then she starts grabbing my skirt. So I wiggle out of my skirt and I'm just like naked in the house. Like you got nothing left to grab kiddo. <laughs> um, but I don't do that anymore. <laughs> and, and so I stopped, I stopped on the path and she was just like screaming and grabbing my clothes. And, um, just to interject here, there was this podcast that I listened to a little while ago and it's this woman who, she, and she talks about astrology and spiritual stuff and past lives and dimensions and like all that kind of stuff. And she was just telling the story about, she had this eight month old baby and the baby's like crying and crying and crying and won't stop crying. And she's like trying to make food and like just sort of on overload. And she starts yelling at the baby to like stop crying, which of course is not going to work with an eight month old baby, which, you know, she then like, it's like, okay, I'm yelling at my baby. This is not good. I clearly just have energy inside me that I got to get out. And so she turned away from her baby and then just started screaming like a banshee at the top of her lungs for like three minutes, which of course like freaked the baby out. But so she does that. And then and she's like acknowledging like, yeah, so, you know, so my baby's of course crying more because it's like terrifying her. And, and then she's like, and then I got it out and I felt fine. And so I went and took my baby and we went outside and we snuggled and we connected and we like, we were fine. And I like got that out instead of taking this energy that's in me out on my kid, I'm like going to redirect it. Um, and so I've like thought about that. I'm like, wow, God, that woman's got some courage there to like to share that like on her podcast and to own it for what it was because like you're saying you know it's hard for people to like hold anything like we live in such a like like the society that we live in so ca like categorically um judges things like it's like you're talking about you know attachment parenting and how or peaceful parenting how it's only supposed to take one form and not this other form and um instead of encompassing like all that we are and all that life is. And so anyway, I was just like, wow, that woman, like she, she, she just told that story. And so I've thought about that and thought about that and thought about that. And like thinking about that video you sent me of the mama dog, like forever ago, where she's like barking at her puppies, so, like, stop it, stop playing, stop doing that. You know? And you're like, huh. <laughs> and I, at the time I was like, so in death program that I was like, okay, that's okay. I'm allowed to like be a crabby and burr, you know, and like that aggressor kind of like energy. And it's like, see, that's, that's a way of momming, but that's like the death program version of that, which is why it's stigmatized. It's like, don't yell at your kids. Don't be angry. Don't be all these things. Like, yeah, those aren't generally good things from this vantage point, but if they're harnessed, if that energy is harnessed and used in a different way, with similarities, but like from a different place, it, it, it has a different outcome. And so anyway, so she's like grabbing at my clothes and I'm like, I have no out here because I can't get her to stop. And I don't want to be angry at her. And so I just like set down my cooler of milk and I just screamed at the top of my lungs, like into the lilac bushes. And of course she starts crying and then she's like, mama, that scared me. And I was like, but I like, I totally got out. I was like, okay, let's go to the house. And so then she was amenable to just walking with me. Or I said something like, could you stop? I don't know. I don't know. She maybe just stopped. And I was like, let's go. <laughs> and then we went and it was like, there have, there have been a couple moments where like, I have to express that power for her to stop 
because she needs it's like they're pushing up against and they need to know that there's something more powerful just like you're saying like she has she's the same thing she needs to know that i'm bigger and stronger and more powerful so that she feels protected and safe and held in this container of like her massive scary big emotions that she can't handle um but then i'm like sitting with it and thinking okay there's something else that needs to be addressed here because this behavior is also unacceptable so it's not just about like there's the piece of the emotional release and all that but she also needs to learn like you're saying with Walela about learning you know how to tame the monster like there's she also needs to learn how to become aware of what's happening and to shift make a conscious choice around shifting her behavior and so she at one point like I just we went into the house and I was like I just need some space because I need to get right with me so I ended up sitting outside and reconnected back to like what does it feel like to be living from self-love and once I got clear on that she came out and I asked her to sit down with me and I just turned to her and I said I'd like to say something to you can I say something to you and she said yeah and I said when you grab my clothes like that I feel really unsafe and I like in the past would have like explained a lot more and like tried to get her like to really like drive it in, you know, and I was like, yeah, no, that's it. I just, I feel really unsafe. And I just left it there. And after a moment, she was like, okay. Like she heard it and she received it and she internalized it. And I feel like it was a really powerful moment for us because it may it may be the first time where I have really held the space of trust that she actually cares about me and about my needs and about me as a person, like separate from herself and like can see me and trust. Like if I tell her that this is how I feel when she does that, she may actually be able to make a choice in the future not to do that because she cares about me and remembers. So yeah i mean it was just really um a really cool experience on a lot of levels but really um yeah seeing that the we are dynamic and we are expansive in all these ways and we can't just pretend like pretending has been a big thing for me about like the polyamory stuff too it's like i keep pretending that i like don't want x y or z or that i don't have needs or that i don't need to speak anything and it's like i pretending with my kid, like somehow I'm like immune to everything. It's like, no, I can't actually pretend that like this didn't affect me or that, that this doesn't bother me or, you know, that I don't have needs. Like, like safety has been a thing between us because of how volatile she can be and realizing that, um, yeah, like the engagement of all that is and all, all that I am, you can't, you can't take one without the other. Can't separate anything out. Yeah, mommy is hard. <laughs> and on that note, I'm gonna have to get off of here because I'm already being invaded by my little children. So <laughs> I feel like that was a really good conversation, and I could go on for hours and hours. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, we'll leave that there for now. So until we meet again. I hope everyone listening uh, is vibing with this. <laughs> mm -hmm.